Black Plastic is a show you're listening to on Mutiny Radio. I'd like to present the next group, beginning with the pianist, Wenton Kelly. The bassist is Paul Chambers. Drummer is Jimmy Cobb. On tennis saxophone, John Coltrane. On trumpet, Miles Davis.
I've got good news. That gum you like is gonna come back in style. Where we're from, the birds sing a pretty song. And there's always music in the air. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Bruning and Dance of the Dream Man.
The concept behind the sandworms of Dune has attracted swarms of questions and speculations. The answer is that they are the mindless monster from the depths. At the same time, they are the guardians of the priceless treasure. They are both the source of treasure and the source of infinite danger. What is that except the embodiment of all the unknowns which confront questing life, questing awareness? Here is what it says in that definitive compendium, the terminology of the Imperium. Shai Hulud, Sandworm of Arrakis, the Old Man of the Desert, Old Father Eternity, and Grandfather of the Desert. Significantly, this name, when referred to in a certain tone, or written with capital letters, designates the Earth Deity of the Fremen Hearth superstitions. Sandworms grow to enormous size. Specimens longer than 400 meters have been seen in the deep desert, and they live to great age unless slain by one of their fellows or drowned in water, which is poisonous to them. Most of the sand on Arrakis is credited to sandworm action. They are gigantic chemical engines, alive and driven by their own needs, converting the raw stuff of their planet by heat of friction and chemical conversion into the priceless spice, melange, and into oxygen. Yet, they derive from the little maker, the so-called sand trout, which is identified as the creature which sealed off their planet's water, making it into a desert. Here, then, is the sandworm of Dune as you first see it from a position in the ornithopter, piloted by the Duke Leto, accompanied by Gurney Halleck, the young Paul Atreides, and Liet Kynes, the imperial planetologist. Paul stretched up in the seat to peer ahead, saw a rolling yellow cloud low on the desert surface, some 30 kilometers ahead. One of your factory crawlers, Kynes said, it's on the surface. That means it's on spice. The cloud is vented sand being expelled after the spice has been centrifugally removed. There's no other cloud quite like it. Aircraft over it, the Duke said. I see two, three, four spotters, Kynes said. They are watching for worm sign. Worm sign, the Duke asked. A sand wave moving toward the crawler. They'll have seismic probes on the surface, too. Worms sometimes travel too deep for the wave to show. Kynes swung his gaze around the sky. Should be a carry-all wing around, but I don't see it. The worm always comes, eh? Alec asked. Always. Paul leaned forward, touched Kynes' shoulder. How big an area does each worm stake out? Kynes frowned. The child kept asking adult questions. That depends on the size of the worm. What's the variation, the Duke asked. Big ones may control three or 400 square kilometers, small ones. He broke off as the Duke kicked on the jet brakes. The ship bucked as its tail pods whispered into silence. Stub wings elongated, cupped the air. The craft became a full thopter as the Duke banked it, holding the wings to a gentle beat, pointing with his left hand off to the east beyond the factory crawler. Is that worm sign? Where the Duke pointed, crescent dune tracks spread shadow ripples toward the horizon, and running through them as a level line stretching into the distance came an elongated mound in motion, a cresting of sand. It reminded Paul of the way a big fish disturbed the water when swimming just under the surface. Worm, Kynes said, big one. The spice workers, threatened by the worm, are rescued from the factory crawler, which was working on the desert surface. And as the ornithopter takes off, 
Paul, crushed into a corner beside a window, stared down at the silent machine on the sand. The worm sign had broken off about 400 meters from the crawler, and now there appeared to be turbulence in the sand around the factory. The worm is now beneath the crawler, Kynes said. You are about to witness a thing few have seen. Flecks of dust shattered the sand around the crawler now. The big machine began to tip down to the right. A gigantic sand whirlpool began forming there to the right of the crawler. It moved faster and faster. Sand and dust filled the air now for hundreds of meters around. Then they saw it. A wide hole emerged from the sand. Sunlight flashed from glistening white spokes within it. The hole's diameter was at least twice the length of the crawler, Paul estimated. He watched as the machine slid into the opening in a billow of dust and sand. The hole pulled back. Gods, what a monster, muttered a man beside Paul. Then, after treachery has marooned Paul and his mother in the moonlighted darkness of the deep desert, where the giant worms abound, a new sound began to impress itself on them. A muted whisper, a hissing, an abrasive slithering. Worm, Paul said. It grew louder, faster, Paul gasped. The first rock shingle, like a beach slanting from the sand, lay no more than 10 meters ahead of them when they heard metal crunch and shatter behind them. Their ornithopter was gone. Paul shifted his pack to his right arm, holding it by the straps. It slapped his side as he ran. He took his mother's arm with his other hand. They scrambled onto the lifting rock, up a pebble-littered surface through a twisted, wind-carved channel. Breath came dry and gasping in their throats. I can't run any farther, Jessica panted. Paul stopped, pressed her into a gut of rock, turned, and looked down onto the desert. A mound in motion ran parallel to their rock island. Moonlit ripples, sand waves, a cresting burrow almost level with Paul's eyes at a distance of about a kilometer. The flattened dunes of its track curved once, a short loop crossing the patch of desert where they had abandoned their wrecked ornithopter. Where the worm had been, there was no sign of the aircraft. The burrow mound moved outward into the desert, coursed back across its own path, questing. It's bigger than a guild spaceship, Paul whispered. I was told worms grew large in the deep desert, but I didn't realize how big. Nor I, Jessica breathed. Again, the thing turned out away from the rocks, sped now with a curving track toward the horizon. They listened until the sound of its passage was lost in gentle sand stirrings around them. And yet again, as the two fugitives must cross open sand in the night, you get an even closer look at the sandworm. We must walk without rhythm, Paul said, and he called up memory of men walking the sand, both prescient memory and real memory. Watch how I do it, he said. This is how Fremen walk the sand. He stepped out onto the windward face of the dune, following the curve of it, moved with a dragging pace. Jessica studied his progress for 10 steps, followed, imitating him. She saw the sense of it. They must sound like the natural shifting of sand, like the wind. But muscles protested this unnatural, broken pattern. Step, drag, drag, step, step, wait, drag, step. Time stretched out around them. The rock face ahead seemed to grow no nearer. The one behind still towered high. Lump, 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 lump. It was a drumming from the cliff behind them. The thumper, Paul hissed. 
Its pounding continued, and they found difficulty avoiding the rhythm of it in their stride. Lump, 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 lump. They moved in a moonlit bowl, punctured by that hollowed thumping. Down and up through spilling dunes. Step, drag, wait, step. Across pea sand that rolled under their feet. Drag, wait, step. And all the while, their ears searched for a special hissing. The sound, when it came, started so low that their own dragging passage masked it. But it grew louder and louder out of the west. Lump, 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 drummed the thumper. The hissing approach spread across the night behind them. They turned their heads as they walked, saw the mound of the coursing worm. Keep moving, Paul whispered, don't look back. A grating sound of fury exploded from the rock shadows they had left. It was a flailing avalanche of noise. Keep moving, Paul repeated. He saw that they had reached an unmarked point where the two rock faces, the one ahead and the one behind, appeared equally remote. And still behind them, that whipping, frenzied tearing of rocks dominated the night. They moved on and on and on. Muscles reached a stage of mechanical aching that seemed to stretch out indefinitely, but Paul saw that the beckoning escarpment ahead of them had climbed higher. Jessica moved in a void of concentration, aware that the pressure of her will alone kept her walking. Dryness ached in her mouth, but the sounds behind drove away all hope of stopping for a sip from her still suit's catch pockets. Lump, lump. Renewed frenzy erupted from the distant cliff, drowning out the thumper. Silence. Faster. Black, Black Plastic is a show you listen to on MutinyRadio.fm.
a cheap watch, about five dollars, six dollars watch. Or two dollars, two fifty. Five dollars or two dollars? I don't know which one to show you. Two dollars. Well, what's the cheapest you got on one? Cheapest. You got the money though. How much? Well, I mean, suppose we have one for five. Have you got? Well, could I put the puzzle on it? How much? About a dollar. Does every day make three dollars, four dollars, five? You do make that much? Shining shoes? Yeah, because I go singing. Singing? What do you mean? Sing. Well, what does that do? Build up the business, pal? Yeah. Yes. Then a crowd comes. We got this one crowd. Yeah. We got two dollars in one crowd. Two bucks from one crowd. I love you, yes, I love like this. Let's show them. Two bucks from one crowd. Yes, you baby, no. Nah, I'm gonna fuck. Hey, yes, ain't like this. Let's show for me. Hey, my beaver. 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 Yes, you baby, no. Nah, I'm gonna fuck. Pop the gun, lock, taking out the room, jamming, watching it. My beaver. Hey, my beaver. Hey, my beaver. Hey, my Hey, you know that's pretty good. Thanks. Boy, do you have a special corner where you have? Broadway, you know, 44th Street and 7th Avenue, then 45th, then 47th, you know. All around Times Square. All around. But we don't make so good on rainy days. No good on a rainy day. Uh, we want to telephone to our fathers so we want to go to the show. You want to go to the show? Yeah, because it's raining. We can't make money on rainy days. Uh, so we're going to come. We, we can't make no money, then we have to go to the show. You have to go to the show because you can't make money. That's logical. And then when they come out at nighttime, then the rain stops, and then we sing. Well, listen, but, but what do you mean you got to call your father? Do you have to let your father know when you quit? Yeah. yeah. Why? If you want, he's going to give us a beating. No. <laughs> yeah. And I want to buy me a watch before, you know. I want to go to school, you know, wake yeah. up in the morning and tell time. So you can't tell time what time. We always be late. And sometimes I wake up late and I don't know what time. That's why my father said I want to buy a watch. Yeah, what do you mean your father said? Did your father ask My you father said if you if you can make money, buy yourself a watch. What'd you do with all that money? We put it in the bank. Yeah, my father's sick, you know, he's in the hospital. Oh. Now, let me see. I got to get understand what you want. Will one watch be enough for the two of you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you do? Tell time on his watch? No. You know, I'll tell him the time. Joe, you know what he does every morning? What? He always cheat me. How? I go 8.30 in school and he go 1.30. Well, he, what time does he go? 1 o'clock and I go uh, 8.30. And when he wakes up, he says it's 7 o'clock. You know, he lies me all the time. No. Well, every time I go to school, I always like one hour. I'm real sleepy and he says, what time, what time? And I can say anything. Oh, you say anything because you haven't got a watch. Yes. Well, listen, maybe I could fix you up with a watch. Would you like a watch? Yeah. I love it. You love it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you like this one? I wish I had that one. Is it gone? He's rolling. It's rolling? Yeah. Well, listen, kids. Have you ever been on the radio? No. You either? No. You see this thing here? You know what that is? What's that? That's a microphone, see? And we just made a record of everything that you and I said. Well, kid. Yeah. 
No, we made a record of it, and you two are both going to be on the radio. I'm scared. You're scared? Yeah. Well, it's all over now. You're on that record now, and you're going to be on the radio. What are you scared about? No kidding. Sure. And no kidding. Yeah. No, we made a record of it, and you two are both going to be on the radio. I'm scared. You're scared? Yeah. Well, it's all over now. You're on that record now, and you're going to be on the radio. What are you scared about? No kidding. Sure. And for being on the radio, here's your watch, free. No kidding. That's right. Oh, boy, Joey. Yes. Like it? Yeah. I can go to school early now.
somewhere who was not, called us by a false name. They call us still by a false name and think of us as one. But we were many stretched across this land. Apache, Ute, Cayuse, Morda, Delaware, Lingus, Eskimo, Miwok, Maidu, Crow, Cheyenne, Comanche, Zuni, Many tribes and many ways of life, many visions. Alike, perhaps, in the way in which we lived in harmony with all that was around us. Conquering the wilderness, the white man said. <laughs> Why did he feel this wilderness, this land from which he drew life, was something to be conquered? We have never understood. This land was our friend, our mother. Only a very troubled man who understood nothing of life, the circle and where he had come from, would think of conquering his mother. So we, who were here before the white man, were alike in our respect for the earth. But in other things, we were as unalike as the cedars of the Tlingit land were to the mesquite of the Navajo. And it is misleading to think of us as one. One. For example, how did we say one? Wanjita, the Dakota. Kapa. The Choctaw. Azco. The Pawnee. Baji. Ojibwa. Pank. The Cree. Junkyada. The Winnebago. Sogwa. The Cherokee. Ugrito. And that was my brother, the Mohegan. So you see, we did not talk with each other a great deal. But for our purposes here, we first Americans will miraculously speak in English. And what will we tell in our miraculous English? For us, inland from the sea, our lives ride on the backs of the great caribou, but even more, on the backs of our dogs.
Angelo Badalamenti. To close the night, I want to say a verse, and this verse is of unknown origin. It's a short verse, but a profound verse, and it is at once a wish and a description, a description of something that can be real. May everyone be happy. May everyone be free of disease. May auspiciousness be seen everywhere. May suffering belong to no one. Peace.
Thank you, folks. This has been the Flat Black Plastic Show, where all the sounds you hear come from plastic that's flat and black and full of grooves. You're listening now to MutinyRadio.fm. Thanks again. Keep coming back. with you uh, and we want you to watch it and listen to this podcast at the same time